0: Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia in Asia, and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "What does this mean?" But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen, you may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father in heaven, you who give us your word because you love us and you want us to know you and dwell with you, I pray that your spirit, would fill this room this morning, that you would empower and strengthen us as you did this church almost 2,000 years ago. Continue to work in us, forming us, shaping us, making us holy as you are holy. We pray that you and we trust that you will do these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is enthroned in heaven. Amen. Uh, you know, in our, in our region, much of our our power, our electricity, uh, comes in, and is powered by hydroelectric dams, You know, from the small ones that you see to the large, impressive ones. If you've ever been to Grand Cruley Dam, it's an impressive thing. Uh, and uh, um, But you might be able to argue that the, the dam itself is not actually the, the source of the power. The dam just sitting there without water would be useless to, to produce power. And you, know, you might be able to take it even one step further back and say, well, uh, it's, it's not even the water that's pooled up that's necessarily causing the, the power uh, through the, the dam, but it's, it's the, where the water comes from. Right? It's the headwaters um, are the thing that actually enable all that water to pool up and create and produce all that energy that we get from the dams. And, you know, it's, it's the truth that every river has a headwater. Every river has a beginning that, that makes this power possible. Uh, without the headwaters, there is no, there is no dam. And um, i give you this talk about dams uh, because uh, uh, I think this is what the Holy Spirit is to the church. Um, this, the Holy Spirit is our headwater, so to speak. The, the thing that enables anything to actually work that we do without the Holy Spirit, I don't think we'd be able to accomplish anything. I mean, in fact, the, the fact that anything good comes from the church at all is not by the power of you and I. Um, when we're on our own power, disasters come from the church. It's, it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit that, that works in and through us. And I think one of the hard things about this, the Holy Spirit for us, is, um, especially as Presbyterians, if we're honest, is that you, you can't see it. You can't see the Spirit. At least with the river or the headwaters, you can actually follow a river up and see where it starts. And you can say that this is where this water comes from. But the spirit is not so easy to see. And, and when the spirit does tend to show up, like in Pentecost, um, it can make Christians actually look and sound a little crazy. right? Some people say, well, this is interesting what's happening here. And other people are like, man, these guys are drunk. They're drinking that some of that new wine, whatever that is. And uh, it's, it's this overwhelming power that both attracts people and repels them. It's otherworldly. And I think the spirit of God is uncomfortable for us to even think about. It's like... Is this a spirit thing? Is this just a me thing? What's happening here? I think the spirit confuses us because you can't see it. You can't just put your thumb on it. Um, and I think further what makes this confusing is so many people, I think, uh, abuse the spirit. Um, they, they use the stories of Pentecost to, to excuse, run around crazy. Um, you know, if you've ever read something to look up later for some fun Sunday afternoon reading is Google the Toronto Blessing something that happened, believe it or not, in Toronto at this Pentecostal church and people started barking like dogs in the spirit. Is that, is that what being filled with the spirit it means? Just talking crazy, barking like dogs? Is that what the, is that what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? If, if it is, our Presbyterian church is extremely lacking in the spirit. You might even be able to argue we don't even have the, the spirit. So so what does this actually mean to be a Holy Spirit-powered people? Uh, what is What does it mean to, to be a Pentecost church? What does the story of Pentecost mean for us today? Remember, as we're going through Acts, one of the things just to point out is we're not going to necessarily hit every story like we do when we normally go through books of the Bible. Part of that is that a lot of Acts is very, you know, there's a lot of repetition and themes and things that happen. Like, hey, that guy was in prison. Hey, they were rescued from prison. Hey, they preached the gospel. Hey, they're in prison again. So we're going to probably, we're going to pick and choose a little bit through the stories, but we'll, we'll tell the full story of Acts, but we're going to skip some things. But we're looking at our history. Like, this is this is where we come from. This is the headwaters of the church. This is our beginnings. So what does this Pentecost story have to teach us today? And, and does this still have power for us today? Does this mean anything for People like us who um, are quiet and we don't even laugh at all the great jokes that their pastor tells. Um, see, not even that you laugh at. That's okay. And as we, <laughs> so as we continue to look at the story of our church, you know, last week we, we looked at the very beginning of Acts when uh, Jesus told them, "Hey, I'm going to leave, but wait for the power. The power is going to come to you." Um, and uh, ten days after he he left, the power actually does descend on their people in the spirit. And this is Pentecost. On Pentecost, the spirit is poured out and gives birth to the church, gives birth to the headwaters uh, that is you and I, meeting still today, 2,000 years later. And uh, Which means that the church only exists, it moves and breathes, yes, even us, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think there's there's two things I'm gonna point out of what it means um, for us to be powered by the spirit even today. First, it means that we're filled Right, that the Spirit fills the church, and secondly, that, that, it, that the Spirit sends us out as witnesses of that filling. And, you know, fair warning, this morning is going to have a lot more kind of biblical, theological stuff in it. What does that mean? Uh, it means I'm going to be looking at a lot of Old Testament themes and seeing how that plays out in this moment, because we'll find out. We're going to learn a little bit. The Pentecost is actually an Old Testament thing, and a lot of things it's pointing to are Old Testament things. So we're going to look at a lot of Old Testament things. Hopefully, I'll be able to string it all together in an amazing way, and you guys are going to follow all the way through. If not, that's fine. Um, you can complain later. But so first, um, first thing we're going to see is that the church is filled by the power of the Spirit. The first thing it means to be a Pentecost church is that we are filled by the power of the Spirit. Right, the, the church from this moment on is a people that are filled with the Spirit, even today. Well, so what does this mean for us? Well, I think the Spirit fills you and does two things that we're going to see it's going to it turns us into living stones to living sacrifices to living stones and sacrifices let's look here verse 1 it says when the day of pentecost arrived they were all together in one place so the first thing we got to understand is this is the day of pentecost what is this what is this day of pentecost that arrived Well, it's, it's an old testament feast you know how, like for us, um, we have the church calendar that marks the, the life uh, of Christ from his coming to his birth, to his life, to his death, the resurrection, ascension. Pentecost is kind of the church calendar that we have feast days that correspond with that. Well, those are kind of adopted from the Old Testament. They also had their feast days that commemorated the various times that God showed up, like Passover. Um, Pentecost is, is one of those feast days that helped them remember the mighty works of of God, And what Pentecost looked to is two things. For one, it looked to the beginning of harvest, uh, a festival of, of first fruits. Um, and uh, and the secondly, it, it, it also looked at, it remembered um, Israel's arrival at Mount Sinai. I remember, uh, you know, in, in Exodus, they, they escaped the Egyptians and they're wandering the desert. And the, I think it's around Exodus 19, they arrive at Mount Sinai and it's at Mount Sinai that God gives the people the law, the Ten Commandments. And so it's commemorating um, these moments. And the other thing you've got to know is um, when you had these big feast days, all the Jews would gather at the temple. And at this time, uh, the Jews are kind of scattered all throughout the known world. And all those countries listed that I pr- pronounced perfectly um, earlier, um, they live in all those places. And so at this time, now they're all speaking different languages, and they're all gathering from all these different nations, speaking all these different languages. They're gathering in the city to celebrate Uh, Pentecost. And so you have the the cities full of people, full of people from other nations now coming to the temple to to celebrate the provision of, of harvest, to celebrate the giving of the law of God. And it's on this day that the Holy Spirit decides to descend on his people and fill them and birth his church. And it's not an accident that this is the day that the promised spirit of Christ would come and fill his people. Empower them, turning them into living stones. And this is what we see here, looking back at verse 2 to 4. It says this, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So you get this thing that's described, right? It's the sound like a mighty wind fills the house. Kind of gives you a sense of just the raw, the raw power that accompanies the spirit. Because what is wind? It's this force that you can't see, but you can, you can sense, you can feel. But notice it's not wind. It says it's like wind. Uh, and, and what you have to know is this is actually isn't is not the first time that God's presence, God showing up in a place, is described like wind. Uh, when God shows up for his people, this is often how he shows up. It's like wind, this invisible force. For instance, in Genesis 1, the spirit, um, which is the spirit in Hebrew is this Hebrew word called ruha, which means breath. The breath, the wind of God is what gives birth to all creation. Um, again, in um, uh, Elijah in 1 Kings 19, he's hiding in this cave and God passes by and it says a great and mighty wind comes with him. Uh, one more example, um, Ezekiel 1, when Ezekiel is kind of getting his... His crazy vision of all those spinning wheels and stuff like that, which if you watch any of those fun Netflix documentaries on aliens, they'll say it was like aliens is what he's seeing. It wasn't aliens. Uh, it was God showing him this vision. And it says, and it describes um, God as a stormy wind that goes by him. The spirit coming like a wind, what's that telling us is that God is present there. And it says from heaven, this spirit has come, filling the room. What it says that the spirit is not just a part of God. The, the spirit actually is God. The Holy Spirit is not some lesser uh, member of the Trinity. He is one with the Father and the Son, coming, filling this space. And this also begins to point us to what happened in Mount Sinai, which, right, Pentecost is a feast of, the giving of a lot of the people. Um, you know, Lightheart, uh, Peter Lightheart, the great theologian, points out this, speaking of this moment. He says this, this time, speaking of this Pentecost moment, the Spirit uh, doesn't write the laws on stone, like he did at Mount Sinai. But he, he, he comes and he writes the law on the tablets of human hearts. It's profound things happening. Just like the spirit was poured out at the beginning of creation, so now the spirit is back working, sent by Jesus, who is now, remember, after the ascension, he's enthroned, sitting on his throne in heaven. Uh, and now he's, the spirit comes to bring about new creation, to do Genesis 1 stuff, to establish his kingdom to power the mission. Remember this mission that they have is powered by the spirit. So what you have here in this scene, in this room with his disciples, the fullness of God's presence fills the room on this Pentecost moment, which celebrates the giving of the law and all of this, all these themes kind of coalesce and funnel down to, to point to the theme of, of the temple. Because uh, where else did the spirit of God fill the whole house for the Jewish people? was his temple, right? It's the most holy of places. And it was in the holiest of holies in the temple that what was stored? The very law of God, the tablets that Moses received were stored in the Ark of the Covenant In the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go because the presence of God was so thick. And now that same spirit is descending on this house. The house where they are gathered now becomes this new holy place filled with the fullness of God's presence. This is wild because the, the actual temple is probably not far from their house. This is a house in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's not that big. The temple's likely not far from them, and that's not where the Spirit of God comes and descends on. It descends on the house. What we see is uh, it's not even just the place that it's descending, but we see here it's the people. Verse 4 tells us that God's Spirit fills his disciples. What does this mean? Well, this means that in the coming of the Holy Spirit, in the Pentecost, and the birth of the Church, the people themselves are now the new temple of God. This is this is wild. That means the fullness of the of the of the presence of God, the fullness of His Spirit, actually dwells in His people. And now his law is no longer written on stones, but it's written on our hearts. And he he fills the people who now become, as first Peter says, living stones of a new temple. God's full presence fills his people. As Catherine of Norwich once said, God is now closer to us than water is to fish. The spirit fills his people, not brick and stone, but flesh and blood, because God is enthroned in heaven because he is our great high priest who has offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Now, you and I, we don't just dwell in the fullness of the presence of God, but God's, the fullness of the presence of God actually dwells in us. You are a living stone. This is what actually empowers everything you do. If you've ever had an inclination to confess sins and, and to do holy, to be holy, to do righteous, it's the power of the Holy Spirit actually making you holy, sanctifying you from the inside out. And the first thing it means for us to be filled with the Spirit is that God now dwells in his people. Not merely with, but in and wherever we go as people, God's presence actually goes with us. The second amazing truth about being filled with the Spirit and what this means now for us is that you aren't just living stones, but you're actually living sacrifices. As the Spirit descends on his people, making them his living t- uh, temple, it says that fire appears on and rests on each of of their heads, well, what's this about? It's kind of a weird way to describe um, just being able to speak in different languages. Well, again, um, Peter Lighthart, speaking on this, points out that what Jesus, um, you know, Jesus has just recently ascended into heaven, and he, as he ascended into heaven, we talked about this a little last week. He goes as a priest through the veil to the holy of holies, taking his throne in the most holy place, sitting down next to the Father in heaven. And um, all of this is actually kind of an allusion to what happens at the end of, of Exodus. It helps us understand the meaning of what's happening here. At the end of Exodus, what happens is they, they finish the tabernacle, which the tabernacle was like a, a temporary, um, a portable temple until they built the full temple. So it was where they would worship God, and where God's spirit dwelled. And at, and at the end of Exodus, when they finish the tabernacle, there's a scene where Yahweh, God comes and takes his throne. And then as he does that, fire comes out and consumes um, the altars, uh, the the sacrificial portions that were in the altars. Well, now this is kind of what Jesus is acting out for us in the spirit, because Jesus has just ascended uh, to the place where his father lives. He's just taken his throne. But now instead of lighting sacrifices on fire, what is he doing? He lights his people on fire. The people are now made the altars. The people, the disciples themselves are living sacrifices To be filled with the Spirit means that you are now a living sacrifice. You know, Paul picks up on this theme in Romans 12 and he he calls us to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Meaning our whole life is meant to be a life that's offered in worship to God. As the Spirit fills you, he marks you and he says, listen, you are not your own. You belong body and soul to Jesus Christ. He is your King. His law is on your hearts. Now we are to lay our lives down in service to him, following him daily saying no to our fleshly desires, saying yes to the Spirit. This is what the post-Pentecost church looks like. It's a people who are filled with the Spirit, turned into living stones, turned into living sacrifices, where we labor not for ourselves, but for the growth and expansion of God and God's kingdom. Now we are God's kingdom being built on earth, living under his authority. This is what the Spirit burrs when he brings the church into being. It's a whole new way of functioning as a people. And listen, this is actually still true for us today. If, you have, if you're here and you have faith in Jesus, you are filled with this very spirit. The same spirit that is strong and active here, the same spirit that gave birth to creation in Genesis 1, uh, empowers everything that you do. It lives inside of you. It turns hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. He is the air we breathe. We have no life apart from him. And yet maybe you're here and you're wondering, well, listen, how can I be filled with something that powerful, like you're describing, that does all this stuff that he does and empowers everything that happens in Acts, and we're going to see how the Spirit empowers everything that happens through Acts. How could I be filled with something so powerful, and yet day to day I don't really sense the power of what you're saying inside of me? Well, to borrow from a friend, it's because not every day is Pentecost. right? Some days are just Tuesdays. When you get woken up early by a weird dream or a crying child or a crying child in your weird dream, uh, where it's everything that you can do just to get to work on time and stay awake and get through the whole day, uh, and not fight with the people in your life. I think in, in the day to day, just normative troubles of life, it can be easy to forget that you and I live in a post Pentecost world that we are inhabited by the spirit of the living God that He dwells in us. So what do we, what do, we do with this tension? Well, at the end of this passage that I didn't read to you, uh, I think we, we get a hint of this. Um, I'm gonna, of, of how the church responds to it. And I think it has much to teach us. At the, verse 46, um, chapter two, verse 46, this is after the sermon, um, P- Peter's sermon. This is after like 3,000 people just get baptized and brought into the church. Pretty remarkable things happening. And what does the church do after this? Do they go on a super big marketing campaign? No, this is, this is what the church does. After witnessing all this, being filled by the Spirit, verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What an amazing thing to read. What did they do after all this? They just, they ate, they prayed, they worshiped together. They just did ordinary life together. Um, I think sometimes we're stuck waiting for this monumental Pentecost moment to happen in our lives where we can just feel the spirit, the electricity in our fingers that we forget that this moment actually already happened, right? And the events of Pentecost were, were so powerful It was such a powerful headwaters for us that it has unending power that still fuels the church. It isn't just long-lasting, it is forever-lasting. We actually do not need a new Pentecost moment. This moment was sufficient for the church for all time. And it still fuels us. And you you and I fan the flame flame of this spirit as we just do ordinary life in the spirit. Um, Ordinary... Isn't bad. Reading, attending to the God's word, attending to fellowship with one another, praying, eating with one another in each other's homes. What we find is ordinary is a gift to you and I from the Lord. Because this this church happens by the power of the Spirit, you and I don't need any supernatural power for this outside of what we have in the Spirit. We can just be ordinary. We don't need to conjure up the spirit. We don't need to yell in other languages or bark like dogs. Everything we do when we gather here is actually spirit filled and led. And as we gather as living stones for worship, we in a way, each of us come in here and we're building this larger temple together We're all these little bricks that come together and we make this structure. And this is why corporate worship together is so profound because on our own, we're just we're just one little brick, you know? But we come together. And we, we build the temple, and the Lord meets us in a unique way. Because he, the Holy Spirit is the source of our power, you and I can actually just be ordinary. What a gift to us. You know, everyone is clamoring to be great. Uh, moving on to bigger and better, right? The, the, the promotions are always good. Never turn them down. Um, you know, I even saw this video uh, this week of this guy who, um, he he jumped out of a plane and let it crash um, and parachuted down just so he could get more likes on his YouTube channel. Um, and then he went to jail because apparently you can't just crash planes on purpose. Um, but you know, you and I don't have to do that to gain attention. You and I don't have to like be extraordinary uh, to grow God's kingdom, because we're not powered by the means of the world, popularity, fame, beauty, wealth, all those things. That is not the source of our strength and our power. Strength of, the, the source of our power is the Spirit of God, which has already come and already filled us. So you and I, first, I think, need to learn how to rest in that power. It doesn't matter if anyone else notices us, because God's Spirit dwells in us, the fullness of God. And as we, as a people, learn to rest in this power, God then sends us out, again, not in our strength. It's the Lord who is adding to this number. He sends us out into the world um, to bear witness of what the Spirit has done in us, which is the, the second aspect of a post Pentecost church is this, is that the church is sent out in the power of the Spirit. The church is sent out in the power of the Spirit. I think this is where the some of the background scene begins to change where the, the background scene isn't this this temple image, but it's actually ba- Babel. Uh, and verse 4 to 8 um, says this again. It says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling uh, in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are, 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 not, all these Galile- are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Uh, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? This is all kind of an allusion to what happened in Babel. Uh, if you remember the scene in Genesis 10, which I know you do, I'm just gonna you know, fill it out for you just in case. But right before the, the Tower of Babel, which happened, you get this table of nations listed which is all the descendants of Noah are listed and, and all the nations that get spread from them. And it's first this, this table of nations is listed and then they're building this Tower of Babel right, to try to reach the heavens, to kind of try to be God. And God didn't like that. And so he confused their languages and scattered them um, so they couldn't um, do that again. And, uh, and we, here we find the Pentecost is a reversal of this moment where the language barrier actually is not the thing that scatters, but it's actually the very means for, for gathering the nations in. At, at Pentecost, this curse is being reversed. Um, you know, where in God's kingdom, we're not divided, but we're actually united uh, amidst our diversity. And, and we see that in a very practical way, because what's happening is that all the people who are gathered in the city, right, they're speaking all their different languages. They hear this commotion of the Spirit, they gather around the disciples, and they all begin to hear and understand the disciples. And it's clear that this is a work of the spirit because they, they're pointing out that they're Galileans is saying, are these just these simpletons from, uh, from Galilee? They don't know my language. They don't, they're not smart enough for that. So no, this is a work of the spirit. They're all hearing them in their native tongue. It'd be like if you're here and you only spoke German or you only spoke Spanish and I'm preaching English and you hear me in German and Spanish. That's what's happening here. This is what the gift of tongues was here. They weren't speaking some gibberish language, they were speaking human languages. And what we see here is God is beginning to reverse this curse of Babel. Well, why is this significant? Because right, the same spirit that brought all creation into bear is at work again, enabling the church to actually fulfill the mission that it's been given to bear witness to the ends of the earth. And uh, you know, one of the consequences of Babel with all the different languages is that it's actually gonna be hard to fulfill that mission to preach to people if you can't speak their language. It's just a very practical barrier. And here the Spirit is powering them in a very practical way, saying, listen, I've, I have actually gathered the nations together for you, all these people from the, the edges I've actually gathered for you, and now I'm actually giving you the language to, to preach to them so they can hear you. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit empowers and sends us in his power so that the whole earth might know who Christ is, so that this temple, this presence of God, might spread and dwell everywhere in the world. You know, and as a bit of an aside, um, one thing I think is cool about this is that, listen, their, their languages aren't erased, are they? They're still speaking their own, whatever their native tongue is. And it's this kind of interesting idea that God doesn't just erase a culture and have a monocultured community, um, but he actually just, he just redeems it. Uh, and it's just, it's a beautiful scene happening here. And one of the things we see from all of this is that our mission is not our own, um, it's, it's the spirit's mission. It's also a massive undertaking that is overwhelming if we tried to do it on our own, right? Spreading God's kingdom until it covers the earth. Kind of a big job. Uh, calling people to repent and bow to King Jesus is a lofty mission, especially in our culture and our time. We don't submit to anybody but ourselves. Um, and, you know, of course, whenever you try to expand a kingdom, there's going to be anti-kingdoms. Your kingdom's going to have enemies, people who are against us. And the only way that this kind of lofty mission can succeed, the only way that God's kingdom can grow um, to places like Yakima uh, is by the power of the Spirit. We go out in faith trusting that the Spirit is at work and the Spirit's the one that has to work in and through us to bring about God's peace on earth because only the Spirit of God can transform hearts uh, and open eyes to see the truth. And one of the fun things about this is the church becomes this anti-Babel movement where there's confusion and division, the church moves in and brings peace, right? The Old Testament word shalom, which is, means more than just peace, it's just it's flourishing. It's what we all are searching for and longing for in life, not just peace in our hearts and calm minds where we feel good about ourselves, but actually flourishing in the world, the good life. That's what the Spirit comes and does, that's what we're promised. And you know, historically, when the church grows, this happens in the culture. The Spirit of God is still doing this work. Even um, in, in missions, um, there's various stories of people who learn languages extremely fast that they should not learn fast. And that's a way the Spirit is actually, I think, giving the gift of tongues to interpret language. I, Hudson Taylor is said to have learned the Chinese language in a very fast time, uh, fast amount of time. And I think it's one of those stories where it's like, okay, God is still empowering people to carry his message with the gospel to the ends of the earth, This is what the church does. It it reverses Babel, enabling the nations to know the work of Christ in his kingdom. So what does this look like for you and I? Well, I think it means a few things. I think for one, I think we have to remember, similar to last week, that we labor in hope. Um, Day to day, you and I might not notice the kingdom growing and working in the Spirit's work. But we have to learn how to labor in faith, uh, knowing that, Nothing that we do depends on our own strength, but on the strength of the Spirit of God who is at work. And we need to learn how to trust. Listen, this is God's mission. He's the one strengthening this. He's the one powering it. We need to trust him to do his work. And we, we labor we labor on uh, being called to, to, to live as living stones and sacrifices, following the way of Christ, bearing witness to him, trusting that the Spirit of God will do the work that he says he will do in the hearts of man. And secondly, after we learn to to grow in our, in our faith and our, our hope and our trust that what I'm saying is true, what the scriptures are saying is true, I think we need to be comfortable and settle into living ordinary lives. Ordinary rhythm of fellowship, um, gathering together with Christians, regular for worship, gathering around this table. This is our weekly filling, so to speak. And it's not that you know uh, we actually have a leak and the Holy Spirit's like leaking out onto the floor throughout the week. That's not how it works. You don't lose the spirit. Um, Once you are filled, you're forever filled. But in our our day-to-day life, I think sometimes we can ignore the spirit's prompting in our lives, right? Whether it's something we did wrong that we don't want to confess that we did wrong, or whether it's like good that you see that you could do that you ignore and you don't do it. There's various ways that we kind of ignore the spirit in our lives. And so each week we gather here, it's more of a retuning than a refilling, We retune our ears, retune our hearts, remember the rhythms of grace, that yes, we struggle with sin, but yes, we are redeemed, that we are the presence of God on this earth. We remember the story of acts that we're a part of, that we are filled and we're sent out as witnesses. So we need to commit to the ordinary life that God has called us to. Um, And I think this leads to the way we witness in this world. It's actually rather ordinary. As we learn to, to gather together and live ordinary lives, we should expect the Spirit to direct our waves like he directed the Church of Acts. I think one practical way this happens is, listen, wherever you live, wherever you work, is not an accident. The, the places that you find yourselves are not accidents. You, you, know, you have the co-workers you have, the clerk you have at a checkout line, the random person you, you meet— God is sovereign over your life and his spirit is still directing your lives. And everywhere you go, the presence of God is going. Uh, Pay attention. Where has the spirit of God uniquely led my life to be? Who who are the people he's put around me? So you don't have to go to another country to do this. We're actually called to do this right here, wherever we find ourselves. And even if you look at this room, I mean, there's there's a good amount of us, but we're not like not thousands in this room. Um, but I bet the people we interact with individually and with our families, I bet that is thousands that we interact with within a week. Who? Where has God taken you? Wherever you go, the presence of God is with you. You are a temple. The Spirit of God lives with you. This is not an accident. I think we're called to pay attention to these things and then ask the Lord, pray to the Spirit. This is His mission. Say, Lord, how do you... How do you want me to be? Maybe it's this, I need to be show kindness to this person. Maybe I need to speak things that are uncomfortable. I don't know what those are for you, but pay attention. The spirit will guide you. He promises he will. We just have to learn to pay attention. And when you find yourself in trouble, this is an encouragement. You can actually call out. I was having a hard conversation with someone this week. And don't worry, there's no one in this room. Everyone's like, is that me? Was that a hard one? Uh, no, it wasn't you. No, this is the other people that are in my life. Um, and I, and I didn't know what to say to the person. And finally, I was like, oh yeah, I'm studying this. I'm like, I could probably s- s- ask the Holy Spirit. And so I did, I prayed. And uh, I didn't get some like, profound like, thing that changed that person's life, um, as often happens. But it was just an ordinariness, calming, just knowing that the Spirit was there gave me confidence to say what I needed to say, trusting that the Spirit would apply it. It's why even after a sermon, sometimes people come and they say, oh, that was really good. I got this thing out of the sermon. I was like, I never said that. I didn't even mean that. But the spirit uses what he uses to apply it to our hearts, to strengthen and build us up so we can grow as his living stones and living sacrifices and his witnesses and this So you just need to know that this is, this is real. The spirit of God is real. His power is real. And it's there for you to tap into in your lives. So trust it. Reach out to it. Call out to it. May we be a people who continue to learn to walk in step with the spirit, bringing the, the kingdom of God to bear into the life of the world. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks for your spirit, which is alive and working in and through your church here and around the world, uniting us, binding us together, growing us. Grow us in faith, we pray. Grow us to know that you are there, that you hear us, that you guide us, And I ask that you would continue to guide St. Andrews, that we would take seriously the fact that we are a people who are filled with you. Send us wherever the wind blows, that we might be a witness to you and your kingdom, that it may grow and be established from here to the ends of the earth. In Christ's name we pray, amen.